Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Alon Stavins and Josh Lambert. Alon is the publisher of Restless Books and the Lewis Sebring Professor of Humanities, Latin American, and Latino Culture at Amherst College. He's the author of numerous books. Alon edited the Norton Anthology of Latino Literature, the three-volume set Isaac Bashevet Singer, Collected Stories, the poetry of Pablo Neruda, among dozens of other volumes. He is the recipient of numerous awards and honors, including a Guggenheim Fellowship, Chile's Presidential Medal, the International Adino Book Award, and the Jewish Book Award. Alon's work has been translated into 20 languages and has been adapted to the stage and screen. He's the host of NPR podcast, In Contrast. And Alon is helping the Yiddish Book Center with the discussion Decade of Discovery, a new initiative occasioned by the Yiddish Book Center's 40th anniversary in 2020. Josh Lambert is the academic director of the Yiddish Book Center and visiting assistant professor of English at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. He's the author of American Jewish Fiction, A JPS Guide, and Unclean Lips, Obscenity, Jews, and American Culture, which received a Jordan Schnitzer Book Award from the Association of Jewish Studies and a Canadian Jewish Book Award. His reviews and essays have been published by the New York Times Book Review, the Los Angeles Times, the Los Angeles Review of Books, Haratz, Tablet, The Forward, New England Public Radio, and many other publications. Josh and Ilan are editors of the recently published and much lauded How Yiddish Changed America and How America Changed Yiddish, a momentous and diverse anthology of the influences and inspirations of Yiddish voices in America, radical, dangerous, and seductive, but also sweet, generous, and full of life. Welcome. Thank Pleasure. You so <laughs> it's hard to get through your introductions, yeah. and I didn't give you all the credit you deserve. But again, uh, thanks so much for joining me here today. Um, so before I start, I wish listeners could see this book. It is just stunning in all manners. Um, the content, the curation, and the design, and if I may, as we say in the publishing world, the thump value, <laughs> um, which for since this is audio, I'm going to take the liberty of thumping it down. <laughs> it's a tome, um, but just really hats off to you. Um, it's 512 pages, and you will not want to put it down. So if I may, let's talk a little bit about how this all came to be, the idea behind the anthology. And, uh, you know, both of you uh, intersect with the Yiddish Book Center on a numerous fronts. Um, and as I mentioned early on in this introduction, Ilan, you're working with us on the Yiddish Book Center's Decade of Discovery. For our listeners who don't know about this yet, this is a new initiative of the center. It's designed to foster a deeper understanding of Yiddish and modern Jewish culture. And it begins with the center's 40th anniversary, which is 2020, and continues for the next 10 years. And each year, what we'll be doing as part of the Decade of Discovery is coming together under an annual theme, and we'll hold special events, courses, exhibitions, performances. These will be done in partnership with organizations across the country. And the, the idea behind the initiative is that, you know, the center seeks to create a space, as we say, for collaboration, testing of ideas, and discovery of new perspectives, drawing on all that we have in our collections over the past 40 years and, and prompting these conversations. And both Josh, um, in your role as academic director at the center, and Ilan working with us uh, on the Decade of Discovery, I think that this sort of happened all together, and also wearing your hat as Restless Books. Mm -hmm. So... 
It is a thrill to be to be in the podcast. Lisa, thank you with Josh. Um, the The idea of the book started just as you mentioned when uh, putting together some thoughts on how to map out what the first year, the 40th anniversary anniversary per se of the Yiddish Book, book Center should be. And uh, I have been a, a, a really passionate. Uh, a student of Yiddish through the help and thanks to the presence of the Yiddish Book Center here in Amherst. And I thought that what, I think that what the Bachentrager magazine has been doing for many, many years has been just superb, a uh, kind of smorgasbord of material of all kinds and in every direction, historical and current and pushing in the direction of language and in the direction of recipes and uh, short stories and translations and so many things that are, it's, it's really a feast every time I get my copy of, uh, of Back and Trigger, and I have been very a proud uh, contributor as well. So I thought it would be a good idea to envision a volume that could mainly draw from the well, the rich and varied well of Pack and Trigger, but then uh, nurture it with other materials material from Jewish culture and history and cuisine that would expand that uh, that uh, foundation. Uh, it was a thrill from the beginning to work with Josh, whose uh, scholarship in the public intellectual presence I have admired thoroughly. And uh, we thought it it would be lovely to start imagining how this book could work in, in, in as an exception or in contrast with other projects. The title came first in this. <laughs> in this, and It was like, how Yiddish change America, how America change Yiddish. Okay, how are we going to fill this book now <laughs> with material, now that we know what the book is about, which I think was a, was a useful strategy. Um, we read and reread a lot of the stuff from Pachentrager, and then that served as a point of arrival and departure for other material. And it was absolutely joyful to collaborate with Josh. It was uh, emails and conversations. I love this piece. How about this other one? I once saw this. Have you? Do you remember this one? It's it's like you are discovering a, a, a box of candy that you've had next to you and that you share with a close friend. Um, and then we imagine how to organize it in different sections. Josh, you take it over from here. Sure. I, no, I think that, that the point you made about how um, really unusual it was that the the title stayed exactly the same from the first you know from the first idea and you look at the book and it's exactly the book that you imagined um, and I think that's so much of what makes it strong and really what we what we had the opportunity to do as you said was go through this incredible um, repository and 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 not just you know all the archives of the center and all the you know things we've read over the years, but really the way that Pachentrager curated that. Um, and I and I think uh, part of some of the joy that I feel for seeing the book in front of us is that working at the book center, one of the pleasures is that there's always old copies of Pachentrager around. And as a sort of a younger person who um, I wasn't around to get Pachentrager 20 or 30 years ago, um, you know, I was alive, but I wasn't subscribing to magazines yet. <laughs> um, um, but I, and, I, and I know from lots of people out there in the field who, who know the magazine well, but 
um, you know, w- would say, like, I think in 1987 there was something in Packing Trigger that I really liked, and they'll ask, you know, me to, to run around upstairs and find a copy and take a picture for them. So there's something lovely about bringing, having gone through all that and picked favorites and put them together and then put them into a form that they can, you know, get out to new readers, to people who might have read the magazine 20 or 30 years ago and forgotten about things or might um, have never had a chance to see it. Um, so I think all that's very, very exciting. And and I think the other thing you said, which I completely agree with, is just, you know, it's it's a lovely thing with a book like this to to bring such a spirit of fun to it. That mm-hmm. I think both of us, what we shared more than anything was a sense of, the pleasure of this material and the and the sense of um, exploration and excitement of it and I and I think that with so many of the pieces that ended up in the book when people ask me have been asking me now you know what are your favorite pieces in the in the book um, so many of them are just are just things that I love or that are like bring pleasure mm-hmm. or that are are fun in a way that um, you know sometimes in wearing our our serious scholarly hats we have to prioritize um, things that are uh, very serious, and I think there's lots of extremely serious stuff in the book, but um, I think that the way we approached it with that sense of enjoyment uh, really comes through in how the book turned out. Uh, yeah, I think you both probably bring different perspectives, and that's what was nice about the collaboration, sort of watching it as I did on the sidelines a little bit, mm-hmm. um, to see where you went back and forth. I also wanted to ask you, um, again, you know, working on Pock and Traeger, um, myself as um, part of my role, one of the things that always surprises me is, you know, you come up with what you think is, oh, let's do a feature on thus and such, and isn't this an original idea? And you realize we covered it 20 years ago. But the f- how you frame it 20 years later or what it was like for you to go back and see that arc, to me, is kind of interesting. W- where are we 40 years later in terms of reflecting on Yiddish and all that we've gleaned? That's a, that's a, a, a very important point. Lisa, um, uh, printed media and media in general have the purpose of uh, entertaining us or informing us or challenging us, uh, but its its role is mainly the present. It wants to capture us here and now, uh, push our interests in different directions, and uh, not many articles, not many pieces survive the the. the passing of time. And so it was really uh, fascinating to go back to Pachentrager and see how things survive, how things are read differently, how things were conceived in a way to be read into the future, not only in the present, Um, not only being written for that immediate uh, person, the reader that was going to open the issue, but uh, in in the long term, how this could have a a larger impact on culture in general. Ultimately, the, the title plays on the idea that Yiddish is an immigrant language. There have been many immigrant languages in this country, a country of immigrants, that has had a, a very deep and transformative role in the shaping of America as a nation, in Jewish culture in America in particular. And the I would say, without a hint of doubt, that uh, Pachentrager has been a record, a statement, a chronicler, a, 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 
uh, a witness of how that transformation has taken place in those 40 years for scholars, for lay readers, for students, um, which really has been a, a very important aspect. If I can be just, if I can take this thought a little further, I live in Amherst for over 25 years, and during the process of putting together this book, I kept on thinking to myself how important the presence of the Yiddish Book Center has been for me to be just nearby, pushing my thoughts in different directions. Sometimes um, a, a thought would take me to something totally different, and sometimes that would open that thought would open a door to do more research on on uh, on Maurice Sendak or on Bashevisinger, etc. It's uh, we are a byproduct of the environment and of those uh, artifacts that come from that environment. And for me, Pachenträger and the Yiddish Book Center have been essential in the shaping of my mind, my intellect, my pursuits, my curiosity. You know, one uh, answer or one one thing I'd add in terms of the question, um, it's it's a little interesting to think about what happened after, you know, as we said, in the process of doing this book, we looked at the Pockentrager archives first. We picked lots and lots of material, tons of great stuff. And then we did think we stepped back for a mi- moment and thought, what isn't here? What do we want to add? What do we want to supplement? And I'll say one one issue that, that came through to me there um, was that, um, was about was about gender and women's voices. I think that uh, it what one thing that we felt we needed to add more at that point was more women's voices, more translations of women writers, more uh, uh, female authors. And I don't think that's because women were you know excluded in any um, you know strong or pointed way through the history of Pock and Trigger at all. But I do think if you look at, you know, even the current issue that's out right now, which is amazing and filled with incredible translations of Yiddish women's writing, um, and if you look at what the translation fellows from the Book Center have been translating for the last few years, we're really in a moment right now um, where attention to uh, women writers in Yiddish is is exploding and is and people are publishing all kinds of incredible things and so I think we wanted to represent some of that but I think that if we did this book ten years in the future um, you know or an update to, you know God willing uh, an update to this book a second edition sometime in the future right you'd see some of the fruit of the current moment we're in where people are translating and attending to all sorts of women writers that were sort of forgotten by scholars or not paid as much attention to as they should have been, and that's getting um, that work is getting done now. So we, you know, I think we tried to um, add more of that into the book as we did the editing. Um, but you get a sense of how the focus in in Yiddish studies and in what translators are interested in and what um, different writers are interested in changes over time, um, and that you know uh, there are some you know constant interests. You know, I think food. Um, is shot through, you know, the the whole history of it, that, that it's always been um, an issue of uh, of great interest uh, within this field. But, um, you know, different different uh, topics have sort of risen and fallen, and, and I think that that's one example of how that's happened. I'm just going to toss in there for our listeners who are not familiar with Pockentrager, which means book peddler. Um, it is an English language magazine, so it's important for you to know right. that this is this is not exclusively um, for those who are able to read in Yiddish, which would take me out of this conversation. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, you mentioned you mentioned women writers, and I think this certainly is so true that we're finding and unearthing. We're at this wonderful point at 40 years in, as I say, um, where we're beginning to explore all that 
that has been saved and preserved. And uh, Elan, as you pointed out, your proximity to the center, certainly you've been involved with the center for years and years and years. And all of these different kinds of intersections to me are really fascinating. The, what Josh brings is a different perspective from what you bring. And yet we have the luxury, if I may, of being able to see how this informs us and what the takeaway is. And I think, again, topically, the way that you've divided the book into chapters, there are, I think as we say in publishing, different ways of entry, different ways of prompting conversation, different ways of allowing us into a story that, um, or to consider something, not necessarily exclusively in a scholarly way, but in a the cultural aspect. And I, uh, how hard was that for both of you? Or And also, maybe speak a little bit about the construct of how topically you divided the book. Yeah. Um, the, the, once we had the bulk of the material, and uh, it was never static, we, were, we, we, we created a first uh, list of uh, potential pieces. We started imagining how to organize those pieces. And uh, we had a very clear sense, I think, from early on, that this was a book that is not meant exclusively or even primarily for scholars. It is meant for a trade general audience reader. It is obviously for people who know a bit of Yiddish, but hopefully the book will go to people that are not familiar with Yiddish, that can see this from myriad perspectives. This could be a book, as I imagined it, about immigration. This is a book about the process of America becoming what it is as a result of the arrival of all these immigrants. It's a it's a book about language. It's a book about what we eat and when we eat and how we gather together and celebrate the food that we have. This is a book about the nuances of a, the, the political landscape that each of us might come from, more conservative, more liberal, uh, from a particular part of the world, etc. And so we thought, I think we thought, that the, the, the section should be a containers, but never too rigid so that they could allow people to see structures within the book, but also feel that they could jump from one section to another. In my experience, a, an anthology is like a magazine in that it enables readers not to go through from page one to page whatever it is, a uh, 100 or 35, uh, but to jump back and forth depending on where they are. They just finished the meal or they are reading in bed or they have the afternoon just to uh, browse through the magazine. And, and, and I, have always, I have done several anthologies before, and I always think that an anthology creates his, its counterpart while, while being edited. You have all the pieces that went in, and then you have all the pieces that were left out. And you're hoping that the anthology with all the pieces that went in is better than the anthology <laughs> with all the pieces that, was left, that were left out. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about which darlings you had to leave out. Yes, I will tell you a few. Um, but uh, so th with that idea, we thought that it should be in some way chronological, meaning the generation of the immigrants and what they did, uh, the, the, the impressions of first arrival, some of the experiences that that immigration had in the Lower East Side, uh, first exposure to the Statue of Liberty or Ellis Island, uh, etc., the, the watering down of religion, the 
politics of being a Bundist or a Yiddishist, etc. And then the generation of the children. And, and at the very end, we thought, and this is something that I think not only uh, until it was until later that Josh called attention to it. I, Josh is Canadian. I am Mexican. We're both in the United States. And so it's kind of an outsider's, insider's anthology of perspectives, which ended up shaping the very last section of the book, which is called The Other Americas, Canada and Latin America. And it has been a, a pleasure to see that most of the reviewers have stressed that that section is is important. That was one of my questions, because it, it is a great addition, because it does recognize more holistically. The, yeah. um, and different people came in through different places. Um, and the word America means so many things. It could be the United States. It could be all the Americas. And also, if we go back to sort of, yeah, um, the incubation of this idea, it did also coincide with this theme of the first year of Decade of Discovery, which is encounters, cultural right. encounters with America. Um, so I have two questions, but let me start first. Josh, speak a little bit about some of the writers whose work you've included here, because I think from your perspective, in terms of a literary scholar critic of uh, uh, American modern Jewish literature, ta-da. sure. No, I think I think it's been it was great, and we wanted to make sure. You know, I, to the previous question, I think part of the way the categories in the book evolved is just what the what what's been there in the magazine what's been there in the interest what do you see from students what what have i seen from students over the years of what draws them to being interested here and you know political questions are are a big part of it right thinking about the jewish history in in leftist politics um, the complexities of jewish immigrant politics that's always been a big topic food has always been a big topic um uh, and and the sort of legacy of Yiddish, the children of Yiddish-speaking uh, parents and, and their influence in American culture has always been a, a sort of source of fascination. But, of course, at the center of the book center are the books, and at the center of sort of what we do as teachers here, um, what we do in our programs here is Yiddish literature, is, is really short stories, poems, um, novels. And I, I'm very pleased with the way that we've we were able to in a fairly compressed way, give a really lovely sampling of um, some of the most famous and well-known and beloved Yiddish writers, and also some that I'm sure will be surprises or or unknown to even most readers who are familiar with Yiddish. So as an example, I think it was always very important, and it meant a lot to us to have a piece by Isaac Pesheva Singer, the great Nobel Prize-winning Yiddish author. And I I love that we put in there not just... um, you know, a wonderful story by by Bashevis, um, and also a really lovely, fascinating essay by Bashevis, but also memories of Bashevis, stories about him by people at the book center and people out there in the world that really give you a sense of you know his um, presence as a figure in that field. So I think that that's an important part of it. Um, I also love that we uh, start the book off with a story by Babe Khan, by, by the, the legendary editor of the Forward um, Yiddish newspaper. Um, and he, the thing about him that's so fascinating is that he, even though he was at the very beginning of the immigrant period and such a, an important figure in Yiddish language material, he was also a beautiful writer in English. He had, he had, it's almost unbelievable to think that within a few years of immigrating to this country from Russia, he could write in the most beautiful uh, literary English, and 
what he was doing at all points of his career was translating back and forth between Yiddish speakers and English speakers and trying to find ways to make those two groups of people in America understand each other. Um, and the story that we include is a story that he wrote, uh, as far as I remember, uh, in English, but about Yiddish-speaking Jews. And really, it's, it's an attempt that he made to explain what is this culture? What did it feel like to be on the Lower East Side, to be among Yiddish-speaking immigrants? And what, what did life feel like? And he tries to convey that. It's a, it's a beautiful story, and I think it's a wonderful way to sort of open the anthology. I also love that we have um, a lot of poetry in the book. Um, by and and some of it done, some of it translated by, but you know, by young translators, new people to the field who are are trying to figure out ways to um, introduce that material. And I love that we have uh, Bluma Lempel's really fascinating and distressing story, Oedipus in Brooklyn, um, which I think is one of those stories that you know, if you learned Yiddish literature twenty years ago and you read Mendele and you read Sholem Aleichem. A Blumalempel comes as a bit of a uh, shock, or more than a bit of a shock. Um, and you know, and one last thing I'll mention that I love, you know, not not a writer per se, but I loved having the chance to include a, a Yiddish song by Sophie Tucker. Um, you know, I think we, it's easy to think today how, to to be amazed by, to be excited by. Oh, look, they're doing uh, Fiddler in Yiddish on Broadway, and people are putting Yiddish in their movies. Um, Sophie Tucker was one of the biggest stars in the world. She was like an absolutely global phenomenon as a pop culture entertainer. And yet she decided, you know, I'm going to translate some of my stuff into Yiddish and do it for Yiddish speaking audiences. So it's a nice sense of, you know, how present that was even um, 80, 90 years ago as a part of American culture. I would I would uh, uh, catch something that uh, that Josh just mentioned and expanded a little bit. What I love about Yiddish from its birth to the present tense is that it has always deliberately and otherwise erased the thin and, and evasive line of what is popular and what is literary and highbrow. And though there have been very intense debates and tensions within it, within the Yiddish literary tradition, you have been able, as a follower of Yiddish, to see that things just uh, empty themselves into what we would consider to the popular culture, but they still can be very sophisticated and, and complex and Talmudic or rabbinical in different ways. Think of uh, uh, Sholem Aleichem's Tevye. Tevye is a, 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 an adored, celebrated, but it's a very complex piece of writing with a lot of internal quotations that are misquotations, misrepresentations of something the Talmud says or the Gemara says, and yet they are included there. It's about, it's about about the the cheering of the heart of a parent that has to cope with modernity. It's a very serious topic, but it's done in a very accessible and maybe even sentimental way. And that makes it one of the most popular books. And I love how Yiddish has been able to speak to the masses while also educating the masses. And Josh talked about um, uh, Forwards, the Jewish Daily Forward. It is of all the ethnic newspapers in the history of the United States, probably the most significant medium through which an entire immigrant wave 
educated itself on hygiene, on how to read American history, how to enter the legal system, what type of lawyers to seek. This was not only the role of a newspaper to, to tell the news, but to tell people what to do with themselves as to become Americans. And that's a very Yiddish approach to me. And I think the anthology does that. You know, Lisa, in every anthology, you also you 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 hope that you're going to include anything and everything that you love. And uh, the the very first manuscript that we that we sent to our editor Nathan Rostron at uh, at Restless was probably almost twice the size, and if not, <laughs> uh, almost uh, a, a size and a half. And uh, we made the decision that it was not possible to put this together. Uh, you know, ideally it would have been an anthology of five volumes or <laughs> ten volumes. You have to make decisions. You have to cut. You have to say this is going to stay in and my heart is bleeding, but this is going to be out. And uh, ultimately that it's what a good anthology is, is an invitation from the reader to trust the criteria of the editors. That this this is a portal to more. If you like what is here, go and read Kahan, go and read Bashevi Zinger, go and read Grace Paley, etc. But this is what we can give you that is really a representative both of what that writer could do on this particular topic, how Yiddish changed America, and how that sits together with the other pieces in the anthology, the dialogue that the pieces have with themselves. I think you've achieved this. Um, And I think you've achieved this in the way that this really helps all of us to understand more broadly that Yiddish was a language. It produced a literature. It produced other cultural production, aspects of it. It was cosmopolitan. And we need to really further understand that and to to be able to see it. And the introduction, um, before we leave, I think the introduction and the timeline to me were really fantastic. Um, And I wonder if you, Josh, could speak a little bit about that. Oh, um, well, I I think the timeline was a great idea. And I think that, again, we approached it... um, with a sense of, of whimsy or fun, you know, to point out uh, moments that, where Yiddish connected with American culture, changed American culture in a, you know, in a really concrete way. And I think that that as a, you know, as a little appetizer for the book, it sort of sets the, it sets the tone. And I think um, I'm really happy with it. And in terms of the introduction, I think that what we really tried to do, um, again, is not... Um, not really make an argument, not really um, uh, summarize because you can't summarize so many different things, but to give a feel of the way that we approach the material. And I think that um, that's a big part of, uh, that's a really important part of the project um, that, uh, and it's come out in, in what both of you have said, right? The And it, it, I think what we're trying to do is challenge, is channel uh, is channel the the way that the book center itself as an institution approaches Yiddish, right? Which is um, with respect and with seriousness, and to understand that it's uh, not not a game or not something silly. Um, not to 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 be very conscious of the fact that this was the language in which people lived and died, in which 
um, the, the, the most important parts of millions of people's lives happened. And to be serious about that and respectful of it, like we would be of Spanish and Hungarian and Japanese, um, it, and at the same time to, um, uh, to uh, enjoy and seek out the, the points of um, sort of cultural effervescence from that culture, right? Not to, not to say, well, then it's a language like any other, so, you know, uh, it's boring like every other language is, but to say, you know, what were the things that, pe- what were the opportunities people had in this culture, in this language, to make things that are so, that are so funny, that are so um, taboo-breaking, that are so fascinating. And I think that... Um, that that pairing of attitudes of you know taking it very seriously but being very open very um, uh, open-minded and and sort of exploratory and also understanding that it's vast and that we don't even even experts don't know can't map the, the edges of it you know we're still discovering new things in the book collection upstairs in this building um, that no one's ever read or no one remembers and that are being rediscovered. So that sort of energy of discovery, of, of joyfulness, and also of seriousness, I think that's what we try to convey. Um, and, I, and I hope that that's how the book comes across to people. Quickly before we go, um, if, if you don't mind my asking, was there one story for each of you um, or one piece uh, that was pivotal, that helped shape it, or that you just went to the mat for because there was something about it? Want to start, Josh? Um, Sure. Well, I think that one piece that I think there was, in a sense, there was never any disagreement about and that was there from the beginning and was crucial was including part of Sholem Ash's play, uh, God from Nakoma, God of Vengeance. I think we shared a sense um, and that I certainly have from teaching that play, and we have from Paula Vogel's incredible prize, you know, prize-winning play, Indecent, that's that's been uh, performed a lot recently. That, as strange as it is to say it, that play written in 1906 just resonates and challenges and is fascinating. And so, having that in there. Um, it really felt right and and worked in a way and and you know I, not that it's the centerpiece in the book at all but it's it's um, it's a piece that's a really good place to start maybe uh, yeah. if you want to think about what 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 the possibilities and challenges of this of and there this was and there was pressure because in an anthology where you're hoping to give a whole slew a whole variety of possibilities the the god of vengeance took takes a lot of space it's a, it's the almost the entire material was there at, at least considered at the very beginning and so it meant that other pieces would not be there uh, there's also a, a satire that we included in the book uh, about it to see how this reverberates over time one piece that i adore and it posed some challenges lisa um, not because we had any disagreement at any point, but because an aspect of an anthology that is always challenging but seldom remembered is that you have to go out and find the copyright owners <laughs> and, and see if they are interested in having it here and how much would they charge and uh, do they want to make any changes and blah, blah, blah. And I have always been an admirer of Grace Paley. 
Grace Paley's voice to me. I knew her very well. We were close friends. And her voice to me is cathartic in understanding how Yiddish became English and how uh, Yiddish culture became American culture. And that the particular story that we included in is about, a, it's a very Me Too movement story. It's the story of a young girl who meets this a very famous Yiddish male actor who is kind of trying to, to get her. And, and pick her up and she resists it and it's all through the prism of left wing politics it's a just wonderful story but Grace died years ago and I needed to find her uh, daughter and I needed to see if she would be and so that journey on its own finding the daughter, telling the daughter how much I missed Grace how important it would be to have her story here and then recently sending Nora a book saying I am so happy that Grace is here and if I could show Grace directly this book and give it to her it would be my my biggest present for me all that is part of the anthology and it means a lot it's funny I wanted to ask you about Grace Paley because um, I do feel like she's her work is so emblematic as being a bridge she is that in between two different generations and there's so much oh, to unpack. She's feisty. Yeah. She's authentic. <laughs> she is so original. And she wrote very little compared to Abashevi Zinger or so many other writers with her voice. She was, and she always portrayed herself as a housewife that had decided to spend her time writing in the kitchen while the kids were doing the homework. And eventually a neighbor helped her publish this story here and that led her to The New Yorker. She's a wonderful storyteller and a wonderful story unto her own. I love Grace Paley. And if you'll indulge me for just one more second, I also think the Isaac Bushevitz Singer essay. We've been discovering oh, more of these beautiful. essays on projects that we've all worked on together. Yeah. Um, and they are just such an incredible oh. window. I mean, I know his his fiction, but these I find, whew. Yes. In any case, for our listeners, um, How Yiddish Changed America and How America Changed Yiddish, published by Restless Books. Its release date is January 20th, 2020. You can order a copy through the Yiddish Book Center's um, online store or drop by the center and purchase one in person. But otherwise, it's shop.yiddishbookcenter.org. You can visit Restless Books at restlessbooks.org. Dot org and learn more about the wonderful books that Restless is producing in addition to this. Um, also, as part of the Decade of Discovery, um, they, uh, there will be talks uh, with Alon and Josh together, uh, separately, that are taking place across the country. So please visit YiddishBookCenter.org and search Decade of Discovery events, and you'll find out where these are taking place across the country. Um, I urge you to get a copy. You will not be disappointed. And I do hope that you'll both do volume two. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for joining me. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. Take care. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For more on Yiddish and Jewish culture, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. Today's podcast was coordinated by Sam Brivik and produced by Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. (laughs) 